What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Skewer Universe podcast. This is episode seven, and I know I haven't done anything in a while, but that's because I got something very special for you this time. I got to do an interview with director Tony Wash from Scotchworthy Productions. We talked a little bit about some of the older films that I really enjoyed and how I became a fan of his work, like It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. We talk about his most recent release that is available on DVD and VOD, The Rake. Talk a little bit about his two newest features that will be hitting soon, High on the Hog and Skeletons in the Closet. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy. It just says start. Okay, there we go. All right, I'm here with director Tony Wash of Scotchworthy Productions. Thank you for uh, allowing me to interview you here about your newest release, The Rake, some of the other stuff you've done in the past, and, of course, some upcoming stuff you have, which sounds really awesome. So, thanks again, for, thanks for... No, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny because people are always like, thanks so much for letting me talk to you. And it's like, I, I don't understand why you're the one thanking me. I should be thanking you for promoting our stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that work on these movies, and it uh, nothing happens with it, then none of these people's hard work goes, you know, goes and ends up... Uh, I, I, it doesn't perpetuate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right, and I think for me the reason I say thank you is you're taking time out of your schedule to allow me to just have an interview and kind of shoot the shit with you a little bit, kind of, you know, pick your brain a little about what, how you guys got the idea for like a chance in hell or the rake or just discuss your upcoming stuff. Cause I'm a fan. I've been a fan since I first heard about it's my party and I'll die if I want to. Then I saw it on Netflix, finally got a copy of the choose your own adventure DVD. And that, that was fucking amazing. You guys did a great job on that. Everyone involved, I mean, it was awesome. I love that you saw it on Netflix. That was like <laughs> the worst transfer of possible. It was like super dark and the sound was all crappy. The distributor did like such a shit poor job of putting that out there. It's not even funny. But yeah, it's it's cool that people saw it on there. I had one guy, I remember reading reviews on Netflix once. I had one guy who said I should be drawn and quartered for having directed that movie. <laughs> what? Yeah. But it was cool to be on Netflix. You know, granted, that was back before Netflix was really what it is now. But um, Right. I mean, I think that was like in the beginning of their streaming. And I remember you coming out later and kind of bitching about that. Like, it was a, it was a bad transfer. Don't watch it there. You yeah. know, find a DVD, come to a convention, go to the website get a copy and watch it that way and when i did i saw it and i was like oh yeah this looks so much better because i even i even thought like it's got to be the transfer because there were other movies on netflix that i had seen in the theater or rented before i was like this is dark the audio's low what the hell did they do well so, and, and for for the sake of clarity i mean it's it's also um i didn't know what i was doing on it's my party i shot that movie right after I graduated from Tom Savini Special Effects School. And I literally went to bestbuy.com, bought the nicest prosumer standard definition at the time, camera, and just said, I'm making a movie because I've been telling people for 10 years I'm going to make movies and be a director, and I haven't done it yet, so why the hell not start doing it now? And, you know, basically sank the rest of my life savings into making that movie. And um, so I didn't know what I was doing. The fact that people enjoy that film still makes me uh, <laughs> surprised and, uh, you know, elated because I feel like, 
may, now maybe 10 years ago, I think I can understand why people would have enjoyed it. It, it was right. I was on the cusp of high definition becoming kind of like this thing that anybody could start doing, which kind of sucked for it's my party. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm just overly critical. Which which is how any creator is going to be, I think. Anyone who's created something, whether it be a movie, music, podcast, whatever, you're going to be super critical of your own stuff. Yeah. But I will say this, compared to a lot of the bullshit we see coming out of Hollywood, I would still put It's My Party above a lot of that stuff. And you know what I'm talking about, the cookie cutter, jump scare bullshit. Totally. Oh, no, I, I agree. I mean, what you guys did for the amount of time and, you know, sort of guerrilla filmmaking to get it done, it's fun. It's super fun. That's why I love it. And practical effects. I mean, I'm a kid who grew up in the 80s watching these movies with practical effects. And I'm sure you did, too. And that's that's kind of magical when you see something that you have visualized come together in a realistic manner that you can show off in a movie. Okay. And I just have a thing for practical effects and it's my party holds, holds a special place in my heart because of what you guys did with that. And coming out of Savini's school, I mean, of course it should be good. You guys know what the fuck you're doing. Well, I mean, I don't know if I know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> my friends certainly knew what the fuck they were doing and not for them. And, you know, I had some teachers that helped out on that movie and, um, you know, like I, one of my teachers, Eric Molineris, was just a, is a airbrush painting wizard. Um, and so he did some amazing work, you know, for the creature suit and It's My Party and a lot of the transformation stuff. He helped kind of create a lot of that with his airbrush. And watching him work on it was just, it was awe-inspiring because, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, all right, not only is this going to look amazing on camera, but it's like, this is how this stuff is done. Like, you know, you, right. you kind of get instructed in class, but class is still class. A, a classroom application of something is, is like 50% as cool as actually seeing it on set and then be utilized on camera. Um, so I don't know. Just the process in general was great. And I'm completely, to be honest, I'm surprised nobody else at Savini School has gone and made a movie because – you know, the whole reason I did it is because we were only taking still photos of all of our working class. And I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm going to special effects school to learn how to do makeup for movies. And we're taking photographs of our work instead of seeing how it works on camera with movement. And again, back then, you know, you're, I went to school from 04 to 06. So your cell phone wasn't even a flip phone at that point. Right. I don't think text messaging was even a thing until like, I, I want to say like I got text messaging in 2005. So it's like we were, we were basically working with, um, if you had like a, a, a camera, you know, an actual camera camera, like people still had cameras back then. Right. Exactly. You know, if it had a video setting on it, then you could record your makeups on that. Otherwise you weren't, you know, you were taking photos. And so I was like, well, shit, let's make a movie. And, right. Right. And it makes sense. Cause you want to see the movement, how it's going to look. Yeah how it's going to look under certain lighting and okay i'm getting into something i don't even know about i'm not a filmmaker but i watch a lot of behind the scenes documentaries on stuff so i think i know what i'm talking about there's so many different dynamics to to a makeup when it's actually being utilized in a film 
versus a still photo, you know, you can set up a still photo and, and I'm not saying there's not a talent on that, you know, people who take photos right. of makeups and stuff, that's a whole nother, um, a whole nother battle that you have to fight, you know, but, um, we were just, it, it was like, we were doing it more so in like, not even in realistic situations. Like some, some of the, of the kids were taking, you know, the makeups out to the alley behind the school or whatever and then taking pictures of their creature you know huddled in the corner of this alley and so you at least got a little more of like a real world environment around the makeup right but other than that it was like hey take it down to the photo booth in the you know the first floor of the of the school building and and turn on these three photo lights and take a photo of it and and that was it and so i said no we're we're going to affect school let's let's actually make some sort of real application that utilize what we're doing in class and um and so that's kind of how it's my party came to be but i was going to have a friend of mine sh uh, shoot it for me and mm -hmm. last minute he kind of called and was like yeah i can't make it out there because he was from chicago and you know savini schools in pittsburgh and so kind of right last, like the week beforehand or so i'm maybe it was more than that he was just like look there's no way i can feasibly take off, you know, however long to come out and shoot this movie for you. So I was forced to have to do it myself. And, and I was using work lights that I bought at Lowe's and Home Depot and, um, you know, clamp lights with just like regular light bulbs and theater gels. And um, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, I, and that's why it's my party has so many technical uh, issues and, and inconsistencies because um, like you look at the the exterior shots and it's my party during the daytime and they kind of stutter and it's because I have my shutter speed turned down so low that I didn't realize that shutter speed affects the movement in a shot um, oh, wow. like the blending of action and stuff and so it would stutter but it was nice and bright and it was like oh this is great and it's because if you open your shutter you're going to get more light but it sometimes creates that stuttering effect. And so stuff like that aperture, I didn't know anything about that. I had a, there was a gain setting on that camera. I used an XL two and the gain setting, like if I bumped it all the way up to 12 plus decibels, which is great because you can shoot in very low light and I didn't have professional lights. So right. you know, I was working with what I could, but in, in return for having that access to extra light, um, you get a lot of uh, uh, grain in the shot, a lot of um, not pixelization, but it's very staticky. Right. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people look at It's My Party and say, oh, well, I actually really like that. It looks like an 80s movie. You know, it's kind of got that old kind of crappy, crusty feel to it. And I'm like, great, awesome. I'm so glad you like it because it fucking pissed me off. I wanted the sexy looking, you know, uh, like I said, prosumer, you know, video looking movie. And uh, in a lot of respects, it, I didn't end up getting that. But in the end, it's my party formed a, um, I think it formed a reputation for, for Scotchworthy on the independent level, at least. And I mean, look at, you know, people like you who I've never talked to before, you know, in this capacity. Right. You say you've been a fan of my work for 10 years, and that's hum incredibly humbling to me. I, I I still don't know where that even comes from, you know, but I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. I mean, like I said, it's a fun movie. And I mean, technical issues aside, uh, the story's fun. The effects are fun. 
and it's just when it amps up that movie has so much going on that it's it's like a breakneck pace when everything is just hitting those especially in those final moments where she's kicking ass and you're just like is she gonna get out is she not and it's left where you don't really know and i love that i just everything about the movie but that ending where you're like well you just see the doors you see him covered in whatever at the end you're like well shit i want more what the hell so well there is a sequel written there there is a sequel written but it would right and and the goal at this point since we're so far past the first one i mean shit adrian's got to be almost 30 now um if not already 30 and she's probably 30 years old who played the main character sarah right um well, yeah, she's got to be in her thirties because I know Darcy, who plays her friend D in the movie, um, that's the first project we worked on together. But Darcy, who who afterwards moved to Chicago, her and I have actually worked on I think five or six different projects together now. Um, oh wow! She's like thirty years old now, so yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But so that being said, I've I've got obviously the script for the sequel, which is called "You Would Die Too If It Happened to You," of course. And Which is such a great title. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so the thought has always been, if if someone, like like if I had somebody like you who was filthy rich and loved It's My Party like you love it, then I would basically say, give me, you know, three million bucks and I'll go and make, get shit, give me two million bucks and I'll go and make It's My Party over again and I'll make a sequel to it at the same time. Kind of do what, you know, like Halloween and Halloween 2 where... <laughs> It just right. takes right afterwards, you know. Shit! If I had five million, I'd give it to you right now to get those done. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, and that's that's really the struggle of independent filmmaking. Is you know you have this this increasingly larger hurdle to have to get over in order to get to that level where you have people giving you money and helping you produce your content. Anything prior to that, you really have to kind of do it yourself if you want to. Or you have to be willing to work on other people's stuff um, and hope that you can find people that will then work on yours, you know, as a kind of a trade-off. Right. Kind of making those connections and like seeing what you can kind of network to get to happen. Yeah. And and it's tough. And, and that's where like it, I was very fortunate that when I made It's My Party, that was like I released in 2008. We started shooting the tail end of 2005. And um and so it's like back then, independent movies were were being made, but that was like between the period of, um, you know, like you had movies like Clerks and again, obviously the Robert Rodriguez stuff in the late in the nineties, and then right. independent filmmaking in the two thousands was kind of like that low budget start where like Asylums was starting out, and um, before they did Sharknado and all that shit. You know, they had, um, they had like that Frankenstein reboot and, uh, right. Uh, the beast of Bray road. And there, there was all these movies that you could go to your video store and rent a copy. They had one copy on the shelf. And so I had like access to, boy, I'm going on a major tangent right now. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Um, but that's kind of that to a, to a large degree, that's where a lot of this came from is, you know, I was, I had, when I lived in Pittsburgh going to Sweeney school, I had one of those family passes at the video store that I went to 
and um, I think it was Hollywood Video. So you could rent like three movies for at a time, and you could return them and get three more movies, and you could do it as much as you wanted. So I would basically wow. rent things and just watch movies all the time, and we'd sit and sculpt and and have a movie playing. And so any horror movie, I was basically renting and watching it. And I started seeing all these, and I'm like, well, these don't have big budgets behind them. They're clearly independent, and they had larger crews and stuff. But right, but right. it showed me that I had the opportunity to do it too if I wanted. But back then, there were only a handful. Now, everybody and their mother is directing movies, especially in the horror genre, because mm-hmm. all you got to do is spend you know two thousand dollars on a camera. Shit, you can shoot it on your iPhone now, and yeah, you know. Well, I mean, what, there's a what was it? Uh, Soderbergh just released a mm-hmm. film that he shot all on iPhone. I think it's insane. Yep. So even a known director is shooting on an iPhone. I'm like, so yeah. it's it's crazy where it's come in just ten years from you having to go out and get the best camera you could get at the time to now people are just shooting on an iPhone and releasing it to VOD services or whatnot. But, but that's cool because it gives so many more people an opportunity to make stuff. And and that's what I love about it is, you know, there may be a lot of terrible products as a result of the ability to make a movie for next to nothing now, but there's also a lot of gems, you know, in the crap that you'll find if you're looking hard enough, which most of us diehard horror fans, we're going to look for whatever, you know, for every movie out there. And if somebody's got a reputation, hey, this movie's cool, have you seen it? You're going to hear about it and you're going to want to be, you know, you're going to want to check it out. And um, so, yeah. So I I, I think that there's definitely the benefit and, and there's also the negative to it. But uh, overall, I'd say there's... Um, I'd say there's more of a benefit just because it's cool to see what else is out there. It's just right. a lot tougher to promote your stuff because people, and I'll say this, and I have no problem saying this because I'm a fan first, <laughs> but I've watched so many independent movies where like people at the conventions, you know, you trade your, your DVD or your Blu-ray with another filmmaker and they give you theirs. And it's like so many of these movies are just God awful. You know, right. and, it's, and I'm not even saying this as a filmmaker. I'm saying this as a fan. Like, you just made me sit and watch this for 90 minutes. You're an asshole, you know? Right, yeah. It, and I know that makes me sound like a shitty person, but it's like, I want to enjoy a movie. And if I can't even get some degree of enjoyment out of a film, then that sucks. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it makes you sound like a shitty person. It makes you sound like a real fan of the horror genre, which... Yeah any of us who are doing stuff like this and seeking out independent horror and watching, you know, a marathon of horror movies, whether it be newer stuff or classics that we like, we're going to, we're going to pick and tear apart something, especially if it's bad and we're going to be pissed off about it because we want quality. We're not trying to sit there and some bullshit. hundred percent agree, you know, and, and it's like, I almost to a degree get, uh, I, I wouldn't say offended is the right word, but it's a Sunday, you know, and my brain doesn't work on Sunday. So. <laughs> Mine either, so we're good. <laughs> but but no, like, I I wouldn't say I'm offended by it. I think I am because I tend to, my girlfriend was actually saying this to me uh, the other night about how I like the way I word things sometimes sounds a little more like um, aggressive, you know, that my word usage is very aggressive. But um, 
I, I would say like for lack of a better term offended because it's like you look at me and can you hear still hear me by the way it looks like you're yeah I, yeah i can still hear you okay cool um but uh you know i'm sitting there and i'm like watching these movies and i'm like dude you sat and talked to me for 30 minutes about how much you love scary movies you know and and then you sell me this movie that you produced or wrote or directed and i'm watching it i'm like this isn't made by a horror fan like like you know at least and again i'm just being a very critical horror fan because i've been a diehard fan of this genre my whole life i mean before i even knew what horror was i wanted to do creepy shit you know right. <laughs> <laughs> um you know like like seriously like when i was in elementary school i'd be reading all the scary stories to tell in the dark and stuff like that i used to beg my dad to tell me ghost stories all the time whether it was like while i was getting tucked in at night or you know um if i was in scouts and we were having a campfire or something that's what i wanted to do is let's tell scary stories you know right you walk through the woods and do something creepy you know and and so it's like to to have someone who who says that they're that type of fan too and then you watch their movie and it's like this is this, this how is this considered a horror film and not to mention the fact you just charged me 30 dollars for this at a convention like what the shit dude you exactly know? exactly and see i'll admit as a kid growing up i didn't watch them because i was the I'll be honest, I was a pussy as a kid, so everything scared me. I mean, I hid around the corner of the TV when Gremlins came on and Stripe and all of them uh, transformed into the actual Gremlins from the Mogwai. I was like, oh, too scary. Yeah. So I was scared, but I still kind of sought it out on some level because I remember watching Freddy's Nightmares and getting really scared and not being able to sleep. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> of course, everyone's going to go, what's Freddy's Nightmares? Because oh, young people will listen and not understand that that happened. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, again, that people who are going to listen to a horror podcast, especially an independent one, where you're you're interviewing a director that nobody has ever heard of before, unless you go to horror conventions. Um, and I'm not down-talking myself. I'm just saying nobody knows who right. Um, You know, they're probably going to know who Freddy's Nightmares is, because they go to conventions and stuff, and Right. I'm more I'm more talking about those fans who are like, yeah, I like horror, and you're like, okay, talk to me a little bit. Tell me, tell me something you like, and then they name something that's ridiculous. You're like, okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> this is their favorite horror movie, and I'm just like, really? Like Darth Maul's not scary. I'm sorry, but and, and I like Insidious two and three. And, yeah, you know, but but the first one, I was like, this movie's not scary. That's Darth Maul hanging out yeah. in the corner of that room. See, to me, it wasn't scary either, but I was like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. It's, I wasn't pissed off about spending my money to see it, but I never saw any of the sequels. So by now, with all this other stuff, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. No, you should. Two and three. I, a lot of people don't like part two. A lot of people I talk to really like part three. I think that they're both, the, the ghosts in two and three, I think, were a lot creepier than the first movie. So I would give them a watch for just because, like, the, if anything, the atmosphere that they build in those movies is really great. The, the darkness and it's very brooding. And um, so I, I really appreciate that about those. Uh, Good. Okay. I'm going to have to check those out on your recommendation. I mean, they're ones that I've wanted to see. It's just, they weren't at the top of my list. Cause there's so many, cause I'm trying to fill in the gaps from the older stuff that I haven't seen at the same time. Well, and I'm also so. a bigger fan of, of uh, supernatural horror. 
than I am of like slashers and I hate torture movies. I'm not a big found footage fan. So for me, haunted house movies, monster movies, those are my favorite types of horror movies. Mm -hmm. And so Insidious just plays into those because that's what it deals with. It always has a creepy location and creepy ghosts or whatever. And and so that's why I like that type of shit. Right. But See, hate them. I don't know. I'm sorry for the recommendation if you hate them, but no, 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 no. No, I love supernatural. I love monsters. I do sort of enjoy slashers, but I don't like to torture. You know, found footage, there's like very few that I've actually been like, okay, that's not too bad. For the most part, found footage is crap. It's, I don't know. It's a lot of it is crap. I mean, like I said, there's very few. And I think one that I actually really enjoyed was the taking of Deborah Logan because it was, because it was different than any other found footage. And there wasn't anything like, why are they still recording? And this is going on. They were there filming a documentary. So it was like, okay, we know why they're keeping the cameras rolling. They want to get every bit of footage they can. Yeah. It's like, okay, I buy in. It's when you have those, like, was it Unfriended? I watched the other night. I didn't didn't mind it. I know it's not really found footage because it's like Skype, but I still put it in there. But it wasn't bad. But at the same time, like, just shut your computers off and you're done. But Even my all... girlfriend said that. She's like, why don't they just shut their computers off and they'd be fucking done? Because like, 16, 16 year olds can't live without technology. You should know that. Exactly. I was like, well, I was like, this is this is not our generation. Yeah, definitely not. You got that right. Um but no, I and, and that's kind of where I'm at with it all is like, you know, there's I feel like independent movies, that's where you're gonna find the heart. And, and that's the thing is like, even if a movie's not really good or if technically it's inferior in a lot of ways, because, you know, the filmmakers such as myself with it's my party didn't really know what they were doing. Um, you can appreciate the heart that goes into the movie because you can typically right. see that the people who are making it cared about it and were passionate. Whereas you look at these Hollywood movies and, and yeah, they have the production value and the budget and the stars, but at the end of the day, a lot of these Hollywood movies are are the opposite, where they're just they're well produced, but they are shit. They have terrible stories. They're filled with holes in the plot and the mm-hmm. character development, and you know the acting is phoned in. God, I watched Death Wish the other day, and let's oh. talk about let's talk about a group of of talented actors who apparently showed up to get their paycheck, and that is all they did. You know? Oh man. And see, I haven't seen the original Death Wish, so you can you can uh, you know put me up on the cross, crucify me if you want. I haven't either. And when this came out, I heard uh, Brian Wolford actually, who's on the Midnight Drive-In podcast, someone we both know, just go, "Why the fuck would you remake this movie?" And he's like, "No, I saw the trailer. It's just going to be shit." And turns out, from what you've told me. I don't need to see it. <laughs> I mean, it's got it's got some pretty awesome deaths in it for sure. Um, like Bruce Willis fucks some dudes up hardcore, but I don't know if I would say that renting it for even the six dollars that we paid on on demand on cable was worth the hour and forty minutes of that movie. Like you know, and I remember at one point I actually got up and, and had a phone call for like ten minutes because I was like, I don't really care. 
you know, I, I could take it or leave it with this movie. Um, and I, granted, I'm a very cynical fan. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> a 70s and 80s cinema that modern movies, although there are a lot of really awesome modern movies out there, there's there's a lot of them too that are just piss poor. So. Oh yeah, but whatever. there's a lot, and it's funny because my girlfriend doesn't understand my love of like the 70s and 80s horror films. Or even going back to further than that, the old Universal and the black and white stuff. I yeah. still enjoy that. Some people don't. They're like, well, it's kind of boring. I'm like, you think it's boring because you're watching all this new stuff. I'm like, they're building atmosphere. They're telling a story. Plus, this is the roots of the genre you say you love. Kind of just go back. Even if you don't like it, just give it a quick watch and see where everything came from and where it is now. Just I mean, that's me. I like to learn about all this stuff. Yeah, but you're also just, sound like a cinephile, you know, and a lot of people, if you're a fan <laughs> of the genre, doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're, you're like a diehard fan like you and I are, where right. even I have a hard time going back sometimes and watching. Like, to me, I can't really sit through 60s and 50s horror movies and, and even like 70s low-budget horror movies. Like, the reason why only diehard fans are fans of movies like let's scare Jessica to death and like let sleeping corpses lie. And those types of movies is because they're really not good. I mean, I they're good, but they're not entertaining to me. They're so slow and so boring. And it's like, I get why fans love these movies, but I feel like if you're a 16 year old who loves horror movies and you're like, Oh, I heard let sleeping corpses lie is a great movie. And that is a phenomenal title for a horror film. Oh yeah, totally. You know? And I think what's the other name for it? It's, it's like the, um, the, the something of Manchester. I don't remember what it is, but there's like an alternative title for it. That's really cool too. And it's like, you go back and watch it. And you're like, nothing happens in this movie for like an hour. Literally. I, I am um, taking it back even further uh, for skeletons in the closet. We, we secured the rights for licensing to some old black and white horror films because we have the whole movie skeletons in the closet takes place in 1986. So there's, there's a movie marathon commercial that plays on the television that includes, you know, house on haunted Hill and night of the living dead. And, and, um, and then we used uh, wasp woman, which is an old Roger Corman monster. Flip. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I was talking to the licensing company, I like, they sent me a copy of the movie to watch so that I could tell them, here's the pieces of the movie that I want you to send me. And literally this movie is an hour and 20 minutes long and nothing happens in the movie other than these four or five main characters. There's conversations between two or three of them in like four different rooms or offices or laboratories for the first hour and 10 minutes of the movie. Literally. You're like people, people 50 years ago sat and watched this in the theater and were scared by this movie. And this movie's fucking boring as shit. <laughs> See, I, I haven't seen it. It's one that I know of. Like I said, it's in that list of stuff that I'm just trying to fill in those gaps. And it's yeah. not even that I've heard some of these movies are good or bad. It's just, this is the genre that I really, really love. I mean, it's right above action for me. Yeah. And I know that sounds ridiculous. People are like, action movies, they're dumb. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Especially yeah, no. 80s action films. I mean, yeah. 
I'll, 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 I'll talk to you about Cobra for a week straight if you want. <laughs> I I don't care how many people I've heard go, Cobra, that's kind of dumb. I'm like, no, it's awesome in every way imaginable for an 80s action film. Yeah, it's, it's Sylvester Stallone in his prime. I mean, Sylvester Stallone had like Rambo 2 and Cobra come out at the same fucking time. Yeah. Talk about badass. I mean, you don't have that now. And it was like, he was just doing whatever. He's like, oh, Rambo 2, Cobra, take your pick. Which Stallone movie do you want to see first? Yeah. So, yeah, well, and, and then at the same time, you've got Schwarzenegger putting out like Commando and shit. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. that's that's how the 80s were. And, and that's what, it sucks. And we're totally on a hardcore tangent here. <laughs> it just sucks as a fan because growing up and being, you know, I'm 38 years old. So growing up in the 1980s, being a kid in the 1980s was such an amazing time because, you know, toys were awesome, cartoons were awesome, movies were awesome. But it wasn't even just like the movies that kids were seeing, like the Goonies and Monster Squad and Karate Kid and Gremlins and right. the future, all the Indiana Jones movies, shit, the Star Wars movies. It's not even like that was great and that alone was great. It's like the movies that were the level above us. Like, you know, I was six years old in 1986, mm-hmm. but I remember watching, you know, Fright Night. And Fright Night's not a movie a six-year-old should probably watch. Nowadays, my, my friends show their kids Fright Night when their kids are a year old, two years old. My buddy Shay's two-year-old son walks around the house with a Michael Myers mask on, <laughs> holding up a butcher knife, you know? And he, and he loves Jason. He'll do the whole, he'll do the whole, as he's like walking down the stairs wearing a hockey mask. This kid's two years old. Right? Okay, that is that is the coolest two-year-old I've ever heard of. Right? <laughs> I have a video on my Facebook from probably like four months ago where I was over there. We were working on sound work for Skeletons in the Closet because my buddy Shay does my sound work. And uh, and his son was doing that. And I just, I videotaped that. I was like, this, this kid is cute as shit. Um, that, but, you that's know, awesome. Like, in the eighties though, it was great because it's like the movies that like my parents weren't letting me watch, you know, like nightmare on Elm street and stuff. It's like, yeah, there's sexual situations and you might see a pair of tits in there for a second. And there's a lot of blood and violence, but it wasn't like extreme to where a six year old who wanted to love horror movies couldn't watch it and, and, you know, and, and be emotionally scarred for eternity. Like I'm, I don't have PTSD right. because I watched Friday 13th part four when I was five years old. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and see, I'm the same age as you. I'm 38 as well, so I remember all that stuff. And I I probably saw Dream Warriors, Dream Child, and Dream Master on local TV here so many times. And yeah, all that stuff was cut out. But there wasn't so much cut out that you still didn't see the blood and all that. And it was still like, uh, and it still gave me nightmares because Freddy was scary. It wasn't the deaths that were scary to me. It was Freddy, even though... Those were the more campy versions of Freddy. It was the look of him that scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally know okay. what you mean. I'm, I'm the same way because you know it's it's all about um, it's all about those things that inspired us that we love that that make up what we're doing nowadays. You have a podcast because you love the horror genre so much. You know, I make movies. Exactly. So much, and I always wanted to be a director. Yeah. All right. So after this tangent here, I want to 
if we can, I just want to jump over to something real quick. I want to talk a little bit about a chance in hell. Let's talk about a chance in hell. What do you want to talk about? So, as as you know, I got this from uh, scotchworthy.com. Okay. And I watched it the other night, and God damn. There's not a moment in that movie where I wasn't going, okay, shit, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because once you get into it, it just, you guys hit the ground running on this. The opening scene with the experiment on the girl to the troops getting into that warehouse bunker area. And then just from there, the action of what was happening. Bravo. It was awesome. Well, thank you, man. I So... So leading up to this point, you've only seen It's My Party. You hadn't seen any of the other stuff that we've done? I had seen uh, episodes of World of Death, which I know you didn't okay. really do a whole lot in that it was more showcasing indie film directors, but I hadn't seen anything else. And I feel bad for that because I love It's My Party. That's okay. Was, so when you mentioned to me about The Rake being available when it was released, I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to get a chance in hell. He told me about it What I... Because you actually, I think, commented on a post about It's My Party back in the day on Facebook. So I was like, hmm, I'm going to go get that. And I got that. And I, I remember you saying, hey, A Chance in Hell is going to be coming out. You should pick that up when it's available. And I was like, yeah, cool. And then for some reason, I never did. So I have it now. And I fucking love it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And that's that's honestly, that's part of the tough thing about being an independent filmmaker is you know, I got into making movies so that I could direct movies. I could tell stories visually. And um, and unfortunately, part of being an independent filmmaker also is being a good businessman and being a good marketer. And, you know, and, and so it's like I've just started really trying to focus on getting people at even this. I was at Flashback Weekend last weekend, and mm -hmm. I, I got a handful of people's emails for a newsletter. But for the most part it's like most of the people that bought a copy of one of my projects from me that weekend that i sat, sat and talked to i didn't get their contact information so it's like if these people like the movie that they just picked up for me and go home and say this is really cool i would totally buy this guy's other stuff and they don't take the five minutes to go to scotchworthy.com and look it up for themselves i'll never be able to email them and say hey you should buy my other movies exactly you know? And I need to start doing a better job of that so I can build upon my fan base. Because, like, look at you. You said you love It's My Party. You've always been a fan of it. That movie's been out for 10 years. And exactly. that's the only thing of mine up until recently. So Right. I and... Are you there? Hello? Yeah. Okay. I it Stop for a second. So I was just <laughs> making sure you were still there. I'm leaving this in, by the way. I don't really edit. So flaws and all that. That's fine by me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a couple of things in A Chance in Hell that really, really impressed me. And there's the one that sticks out in my mind is there's the shot of the, the last two troops as they're going down that hallway. The old boy shot. And, oh, my God. I'm watching it just, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, this is amazing. This is fucking amazing. Yeah, it was uh, it it was a lot of fun to shoot that. It was stressful too, though. We shot a chance in hell. In uh, basically, what happened was my cinematographer friend Mitch Martinez, 
who I originally met, he did a week's worth of pickup shots on It's My Party. And it's funny because if you watch It's My Party and you pay attention, you can I'll bet you you can point out which of the scenes in It's My Party were the ones that Mitch shot in 2007 versus the ones that I shot myself when I was producing the rest of the movie. Because he is so much better at lighting and at camera work that like he did this stuff with Savini and a lot of the additional war sequences in the movie. Right. Um, and so he had called me up. I was trying to put together a uh, an anthology film, which is funny because that totally would have been way before its time. Um, back in right. 2008, 2009 is when I was trying to put this movie together. And he's like, well, hey, you know, let's let's shoot something. I just bought a red one and I've been doing all these industrial and commercials and stuff. And he's like, I want to do something creative and narrative with my camera. So I will come out to Chicago for a week, week and a half. I'll bring all my equipment and let's make something. If you want to do a trailer for one of your movies, like at the time I was trying to get uh, the sequel that's my party developed. Right. And man, I had the coolest house in Uniontown, Pennsylvania to shoot it in. I'm so mad that never worked oh, out. Oh, man. But, but, um, so we, he's like, what do you want to do? And at the time I was playing Call of Duty World at War with my buddy Johnny, and we used to play like the zombie levels. Right. And, and he, and he and I started talking because we had written a, another script together for a short film that no one's ever seen because we never finished it. Um, <laughs> But or rather, I never finished it because I was supposed to edit it and never did. <laughs> but that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, and so we were like, "Why don't we do a Nazi zombie movie?" And I had a I I've been bartending for many years, and I have a regular who's in his seventies now, who's who had been collecting World War II uh, uniforms and weapons and equipment and stuff ever since like oh, the nineteen wow. sixties, and so. He has this, oh yeah, he just put it all up for auction last year and made like, I don't know, four or five hundred grand on it or something. Holy he, shit. He fucking cleaned house. Wow. Um, but, and I'm happy for him because, you know, he, he, he's been collecting this for a long time, you know, and he has, right. like, he had a lot of cool stuff. And so he's always said, if you ever need it for a movie, let me know. So I talked to him and my buddy and I, after he said, yeah, you can use whatever I've got. My buddy and I sat down and we wrote this, you know, 30 page script for a chance in hell. And, uh, and so I found this old warehouse in Elgin, Illinois, and we shot right. for eight days. Um, and it was, it was excruciating. It was a very stressful situation, but going from it's my party where it was me and like my roommate and friend, Steve and a couple other crew people. And, um, and then the actors in a house with no heating and no plumbing, barely any electricity, to now this big ass warehouse with a crew of twenty people. And at one point we had forty extras on set. I was like, "This is it. We're making a fucking movie," you know. Nice. Um, but it was it was very stressful. I I got one hour of sleep every night the eight the eight days that we were shooting that movie. Wow. Um, so I remember. We shot that in 2010, the week before, the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And I still remember we, we finished shooting, I think, on a Friday. No, yeah, on like a, like a Saturday morning because we were doing like overnights. So we finished shooting on like a Saturday morning at like maybe four in the morning. And then everybody packed up and left. I know Mitch had to drive back to Philadelphia where he's from and 
my buddy Chris, who was doing all the special effects work, him, and he had brought seven students from Savini School because my wow. buddy Chris used to teach there after we graduated from the school. And so he brought out a team of seven or eight effects students with him because it was their like their break between winter semester and spring semester. Nice. Um, yeah, it worked out great. And a lot of those dudes have gone on to do awesome work. Um, you know, three of them, I think, have been on Face Off and um, oh wow, gone pretty far. I know Ian Cromer was in the top two um, of one of the seasons, maybe season three or something. But anyways, uh, so they all like drove back, you know, that Saturday after sleeping for six hours. I slept from probably six or seven a.m. Saturday morning until Sunday night, right before we all woke up. It was like five p.m. And we all went and got like burgers and drinks uh, for the Super Bowl at a, a, a sports bar, and that was kind of like our mini rap party at the time. And I just was like, "Wow, I just slept for over twenty four hours. That's that's mind blowing, you know." Yeah. So, um, but it was such a cool experience and such a cool movie for what it was at the time. I mean, in two thousand ten, nobody was doing stuff like that, especially at the independent level, and. Um, and I'm not saying that to try and say that, that we're amazing and everybody else sucks. It's just like a lot of people put a lot of time and a lot of hard work into a chance in hell. And, and it shows, you know, my crew really does. And were awesome on that movie. Um, and it's just unfortunate because we had a script. My, my friend Johnny, who wrote it with me, he has a script. for. We have two different scripts for a large budget version of the feature length as well as the small budget version. And we've had producers tell us they're interested and then they just they don't talk to you ever again. It's like these people don't even like say, oh, I'm sorry, but I just don't have the money or whatever. They just stop answering your emails, you know, and uh, that's that's messed up. I mean, at least something. That's the shitty industry that I'm in. You know, it's uh, like I again, I love making movies. If I could be making movies for the rest of my life and making money to support a family, I would consider myself one in a million fortunate and and that is that is truly the dream come true you know people say it all the time right people always say oh you know you're making movies your your dream came true way to go after your dream and it's like i'm i'm making movies but i don't make money making movies and i don't you know i i don't even know how how popular my movies are you know i might have right fans out there which i appreciate every one of you 20 fans but like if I don't have 10,000 fans, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue perpetuating this career because I, I'm almost 40, you know, and I need to start paying my bills. <laughs> right, um, exactly. And I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough. Yeah. But I will say it, all the hard work does definitely show in a chance in hell. And I did watch the behind the scenes and you could tell when people were just like, I'm barely able to function, so you're lucky I'm on camera right now. <laughs> but everyone just talked about this movie so highly, and seeing seeing how you did that old boy shot, I mean, it everything turned out amazing, and I think everyone needs to check it out. Well, I appreciate that, and and, and you know, it's my party and chance now. I still sell the DVDs at the conventions, and I still promote them and stuff, but ultimately. I really don't even like I try and not even point people towards those because unless you're somebody like you and I where you're a diehard fan and you know you just love the genre and you want to see all the cool stuff 
that a filmmaker has to offer going back and watching it's my party um you know i sold a couple copies of that to people this last weekend at the convention mm -hmm. and and it's like i almost want to be like look if you buy this movie if you buy the rake for 15 bucks or whatever the cost would be i'll give you this one for 10 or whatever just because you know, or five dollars even at this point because i want you to like I just want people to be able to watch it, but I don't want them to say, oh, well, that's that's the quality that he's making movies at. Because I made that movie 10 years ago. You know? Right. Obviously, the production value of the stuff we've been doing is significantly higher now than it was back then. And I don't want people to, to mistake the quality of that movie for, for what we're currently doing. So, right. I mean, yeah. if somebody does it's i think it's just them being a little misinformed and that's nothing on your end yeah. that would be on them because if they pick up it's my party and they're like is this what they're making no go check out the website and see exactly you know then go buy a copy of the rake or you know and see where you guys started and where you're at now exactly but i want to say too the zombies in a chance in hell they looked great and i love that they weren't just traditional looking they and for me because we know that you know around that time the nazis and the they were interested in the occult and all that whether that's true or not sounds like it i'm just going to run with it they had sort of a demonic feel to them in a way yeah well and, and our goal was that they weren't necessarily zombies i mean they were obviously dead because the experiment like to me, the experiment kills the person and right. animates them. But it's like, the, if the, if we were able to get more into the details of what the doctor was actually doing, it's like he's combining ha animal and human DNA with some, you know, special secret spices, you know, that type of thing. And so, like, to me, it was always make these creatures animalistic, um, and and you know, try and make them different so it's not just a zombie movie that happens to take place during World War II. I wanted right. these to be fast and, um, you know, almost kind of like how the record series went, where the first record right. movie, okay, these are like rabid people or potentially zombies, but then in the second record movie, they're climbing on the ceiling, and you're like, yeah. wait a minute, these aren't zombies, these are demons, you know? Exactly. Um, and so it's yeah, and we weren't actually going to go that full route of supernatural. I still wanted. I try and always ground my movies in reality, even if they involve supernatural aspects. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's it's just it was a fun movie to do, and it was a lot of work. But you know that showed the tenacity of of myself and of the people that I like to work with. Um, that movie was the proving grounds, and if it wasn't for a chance in hell, um, majority of the people that I currently work with. Uh, on all my projects and have been working with for the last six years, I would not know any of them. So a chance in hell opened a lot of doors for me. And that's, uh, and that's awesome. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a roller coaster ride, but not up and down. Like one of those that just shoots you straight out at like 90 miles an hour. And then you just come to a stop. Cause where it ended, I was like, again, just like it's my party. I'm like, okay, I need more. And that's the sign of a good movie, in my opinion. If you're mm -hmm. left wanting more of that story, you've, you've got me. I appreciate and, that. Sounds like I've got a, a, a lifelong Scott movie <laughs> fan, so I appreciate that. 
pretty much pretty much i mean you could probably just film a toilet full of crap at this point and just put scary music over it. i'd be like well hey it's art you know whatever hey, <laughs> No, I, I would never succumb to that level, although I <laughs> sometimes I question why I try and put so much time and quality into the stuff we do when, you know, God, what was I, one of the guys I work with, and, and this is me being a shitty old man, one of the guys <laughs> I work with um, likes this this rapper who's dead now, I guess. His name is Little Peep, I think is his name, and, and it, it's like emo <sighs> rap, and this dude is literally this guy just sits there and says the same like four sentences over and over and over for four for four minutes you know he's like i love you i can't live without you baby i love you i can't live without you and i'm like this is music and not only is it music this motherfucker's got a billion views on on youtube for his music videos like a billion like, yeah how, I, how is it that you're making money doing this and there's no talent behind it and I've got a hundred people working on a movie that are all amazingly talented people, and none of them are getting paid a penny because we don't have the money because we don't have anybody giving us money to make a movie. And this dude's making millions, making songs that a four-year-old could write with their head shoved up their own ass. Picture that. <laughs> That's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> a four-year-old with their head shoved. <laughs> I got fucked up. Finger. Oh God. I'm, I'm picturing that, and that's why I can't talk too much right now because that is hilarious. You know oh, Jesus. Put their heads in the holes, or is that? <laughs> um, oh, um, yeah, or whatever. Um, so yeah. So oh my God. It's it's just it's like I said, it's really tough because I feel like we're at the point where where we should be making million dollar movies, and we're not. And and I think a lot of that has to do with networking. It's all about who you know, and right? And finding a quality person to help you produce something. If that were to happen, I would I would love to hear that news one day that you guys secured a budget like that to do something. I know because I would because I'd be right there day one, whether it was VOD or a limited theater release, I'd be right there watching it. Thank you. Well, I think it's only a matter of time, but unfortunately, time is working against me. You know, and and I'm not saying that I know plenty of independent filmmakers who are a lot older than I am, but um, you know. I also want to settle down and get married and, and you know, potentially have kids one day. And so it's difficult right. to, to be able to do both of those because you just, it's expensive, you know, and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that happens. I mean, I've got my fingers crossed for you. I would love to see that happen. So, and I'm going to do what I can on my part to help promote your guys' stuff, obviously with this interview, and just recommending, especially the rake. Well, let's and then for the hardcore fans, yeah, let's let's mm -hmm. go ahead and jump to the rake. Um, another one that is just amazing. You thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. And why did you think it was amazing? I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay, the story first of all was unique. It's not like any other story I had seen. The acting was great. It's just overall, the overall story was very encompassing, and there were characters that you actually cared about. Those main characters, you were like, oh, well, what's really happening? Why is she having all these issues? And it doesn't seem like her brother is after what happened to him when you know, they saw that guy. <laughs> 
come into the house, saw their murdered parents, and he kills himself right in front of them. And that's not really spoiling too much. It's in the opening part of the film. I don't want to give away too much because I want people to see it, but it's everything about this movie from the story to the effects, the acting was just everything I could have wanted in a horror film. Wow, thank you. I and the, the creature effects, that is probably some of the best work I've seen, but also not something that looks like some other creature from another movie. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, as I told you, monster movies are in my favorite subgenre of horror. And right. so, um, we were, you know, my buddy Jason Kane, who's my brother from another mother, who also went to Savini school, but he went there after I went there. So he was one of the students that my friend Chris had brought out to do the special effects on A Chance in Hell with. And then he graduated and coincidentally lived in DeKalb, Illinois, which is 30 minutes from where I grew up in St. Charles. And so we were like, hey, nice. let's start working together, you know? And Jason, the thing I love about Jason is that he and I share a same style. Like the, the, the way I want things to look is how Jason makes them. And he's a significantly better sculptor and painter and mold maker uh, than I'll ever be. And that's why I don't do as much special effects work outside of the school. But like, I'll do the right. coordinating. You know, if, if someone called us and said, here's 20 grand to do the effects on my movie, I would be the one who would basically be facilitating the business end of it and the logistical end of it. And Jason would be the right. one working with the team that we would assemble together, making everything. And so that's what we do. And that's what we did on the rig. I, you know, he told me we were sitting and bullshitting about making movies in October of 2014. And he had told me once before about the rake and I wasn't really up on creepy pastas because he surfs Reddit like on a daily basis. And I, oh, wow. I don't even know. I don't even know how to access Reddit. That's how illiterate I am by it. And don't feel like, bad on the same way. <laughs> I, and I don't have time. I don't have time to sit and read stuff on Reddit. I, right. I just don't. So, so he's like, Oh, you should, you know, look into these creepy pastas. And I knew about slender man, but but other than right. that, I didn't really know any other creepy pastas, and so he gave me a story to read, and I thought it was really cool and creepy, and so I started talking to my co-producers Rob Robert Patrick Stern, who's also my cinematographer, and Sarah Sharp, who on the rake was my production designer, and we were like, why don't we let's let's try and turn this into a movie? We you know we do a small minimal locations, minimal cast, and we focus on hardcore practical special effects, and we make a movie. Rob's got all the equipment and the cameras and lights and all that shit. Sarah does the production design. We have a lot of friends who will help. Let's just make a movie, you know? And that's kind of how the rake started. And within, by that was October when Jason told me, uh, you know, we should do a rake movie. December, we had a script with my co-writer, Jeremy Silva. He and I wrote the script together. And then um, we were in pre-production full swing by mid to end of January and we're shooting at the end of March. It was crazy how fast that movie worked out. Wow. That's that's awesome that you were able to put all that together. I mean, and it came out great. I mean, visually, everything about it is beautiful. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, I it I I still have, you know, um, it's it's one of those things where we it's interesting how the movie all worked out. Like, you know, there's 
there's a lot that's not in the final version of the movie. Um, there's uh, kind of told in a different manner um, than, than was originally on paper. And, and that's how movies, you know, they tend to evolve. You know, it's like, right. It's, it's like anything. Um, I think even like painters and stuff will, will evolve their art as it goes, you know, as they progress through it. But um, ultimately it's like the main thing I wanted people to see in that movie you know, the stuff that I had control over and that we had control over was um, how it looked visually and the special effects. You know, these right. are things. I'm a diehard horror fan, so I want people to look at that movie and say, yeah, like, he did a good job setting up the atmosphere. The house was creepy. The woods around the house were creepy. And, you know, that monster was awesome. And the effects in the movie were really cool. And, and that's that's the hope is that people see that and they can appreciate those aspects of it. Um, and you know, that opens the door like a chance in hell did for these. Now, hopefully the rake and skeletons in the closet and high on the hog, which are coming out this year, all open the door for the next opportunity. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I want to tell you, um, cause I watched this with my girlfriend yeah. and she's watching. She's like, yeah, this is, this is good. And there comes the scene where Ben's girlfriend steps outside to make a phone call. And she loved the end result of what happened there. I don't want to say anything. No. She was annoyed by this character. She was like, oh, she's bugging me. She's really annoying. Hmm. And when when that happened, and I think you know what I'm talking about, the payoff to what happens to her character. She was like, that was awesome. And when you interview Tony, tell him I said it was great. So... (laughs) She she loved that scene. I mean, I I loved the entire movie, but that scene for her was like, she was like, "This movie is great." That scene alone just made it so. Well, and and that's actually Darcy Wood. That's who she's in. It's my party. Um, oh, okay. Because I thought she looked familiar. So yeah. going, I I recognize this woman from somewhere. It's my party. I should have known. And she she also was in a short film I did in like two thousand and called hopscotch and um and she was uh she's in it in skeletons in the closet so darcy's great she's been nice darcy is the the longest running person that i've collaborated with which is really crazy because wow if you would have asked her and i that back in 2005 when we met each other there's no way either of us would have said that that would have been the case um so it's really funny how it works and now she's doing big stuff she's in chicago's uh heartbreak hotel um she was, uh, she did oh, a wow. of, like a million dollar quartet and stuff. And she's, yeah, she's a professional performer. It's awesome. Um, she's lucky. Yeah, and she was really good. I mean, her performance was, was spot on. And I'm not taking away anything from anyone else in the movie because everyone was great. And the one thing I like about the dynamic of everyone is it felt real. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt like, oh, well, this wouldn't really happen. This wouldn't be a real conversation. And especially when I think it's the character, Andrew was his name. Yeah. The husband of when he like goes off in that scene, you're like, that felt real. You're like, that's what I like is there's, it feels like real emotion and real tension amongst all these people in these scenes. Thanks. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, and that's where like, there's 15 minutes of the movie that's not in the edit of the movie. And it's unfortunate because like, I understand that it was, you know, a lot of it was removed because it slows the movie down, but 
my goal was to make The Shining meets uh, meets Alien. That was kind of the the mood and the atmosphere and the pacing that I wanted the rake to be. And unfortunately, I feel like modern day audiences can't really handle that type of um, of pacing. You know, with 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 the short attention spans that people have, they want they want a chance and help. They want a nonstop right. you know, roller coaster ride. And um, and the, the rake was a lot of like The Shining and The Alien. They're both two hour movies because you have. 45 minutes of character development and tension building atmosphere stuff. And um, that to me is what made the rake special. Um, but a lot of that had to be removed to speed the movie up so that audiences wouldn't get bored. And I actually saw a review of it the other day. That was awesome. The guy loved the movie and his review was hysterical because he was so enthusiastic <laughs> about, about reviewing the movie. But he said, he's like the middle of the movie slow. And, and, you know, he's like, I was sleeping and, and, you know, he's like, it wasn't until the deaths started happening that I got back into it. Um, and I feel bad because that's how audiences are. It just sucks because right. I'm willing to sit through 40 minutes of character development. I just and, and in, in some cases, like you look at Mother, you look at Hereditary, all you know, you look at A Quiet Place and it's like all these movies um, get out. A lot of these movies are character development. It's not all action, but because right. with millions of dollars and everybody out there saying, oh, it's an amazing movie. People are willing to give it the, the chance of sitting through two hours of character development for a two-minute payoff because they're like, well, everybody else said it was good. Look at look at It Follows and look at The Witch. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens in either of those movies, and everybody loved them, but nothing happened. Yep. But, but an independent movie, you can't do that because because it's so much more, uh, so much more closely scrutinized than a big-budget Hollywood movie. Um, but so... You know, it, it's unfortunate that a lot of that stuff was taken out because a lot of that was more development of the characters. Like in, in the rake currently, everybody says, I love it when Andrew gets his because everybody hates Andrew because Andrew's just this shitty, whiny, fucking mean guy throughout the entire movie. But there are multiple scenes in the in the version or in the movie that were not in the final edit that show more development between Andrew and Rachel Melvin, his wife, Nicole in the movie. Right. And, and it's, he starts out very loving and very excited about, you know, about the baby that they have on the way and about starting a fresh life over and his skeletons are in the past, you know, and, and it's like a lot of that was removed from the current edit from the version that people see because it slowed the movie down. And so I get that, but it sucks because, Andrew was actually very much like Jack Torrance where he starts out as a normal, you know, guy and the rake's influence because the rake is basically a pestilence. It sucks the positivity and happiness and life out of everything around it. And, and, and Andrew is one of its victims. You know, he, his, his mentality and his emotions and his, his uh, psychosis are what suffer from the rakes and uh, um, immediacy. Right. So, and, and like, and, and a lot of that is stuff that we, we really put a lot of time and effort into that. I, I hope gets translated in the movie. Like if you notice at the end of the film, did you notice how all the plants in the house are dead? I did. I did notice that. Okay, cool. Starting, and that's starting with the first little one, when you see it and I'm like, huh? Cause that mm -hmm. tipped me off. Like, okay. Because they, there was even the little line like they're basically 
impossible to kill. And the next day, hmm. So that kind of, and then when I saw him at the end, it was like, okay, you paid that off. Yeah, that was that was a cool little touch there. Yeah, and and that's that's again the subtleties that that I try and 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 tediously put together on my productions because it, it that's the stuff that takes a movie from an independent level to me and showcases the fact that that you have what it takes to make you know million dollar budgeted movies. The reason why Ty West and I always talk about Ty West. The reason why you know everybody's gonna think I got a boner for the guy, <laughs> um, but the reason why he gets the movies that he gets and the budgets that he's had is because you look at house of the devil and even the roost, his first movie, the roost reminds me a lot of it's my party where he didn't have a lot of money, but he had a cool location. He had some actors, he had some practical effects work and he was, but he was able to build atmosphere. And that's what I like about the roost. I don't even think it's necessarily a good movie, but the atmosphere in that movie is super cool. And then, and I didn't see his movie trigger man, but you go to house of the devil and innkeepers and they didn't have a lot of money behind them but he built atmosphere and production value and that's what makes those movies good and that's why he's now making million dollar films and so that's what i hope will be kind of the next step in my career is um is to be able to you know have a budget to do what we want without being inhibited and have creative freedom you know a lot of times when you accept money from somebody you have to relinquish control of the movie creatively. And, and that sucks because, right. because then people aren't totally seeing it the way you want to see it. You want them to see it. And so that's where like, and I, to be honest, I haven't seen the, the new version of the rake. I don't know what the rake looks like as it was released, you know, uh, back in June. And I'm not saying anything bad about it. I just, I've, I've seen the movie a million times, you know? Right. Um, but it's like, it's just so so difficult because you know as a storyteller you want things to look a certain way and feel a certain way and that's what you you work towards when you're on set and then um you just hope that that gets translated through in the final product and so i'm happy that it, it visually looks the way I, I want it to look my you know rob and i worked very hard on making the movie look eerie and ominous and building atmosphere and uh and and I'm glad that the effects came together like they did because Jason and his team put together you know a, a lot of time and effort to make those effects look great. And Jason, and I spent a lot of time working on the designs mm -hmm. for the effects. Um, so I'm just glad. I'm I, I I love the rake. I think it's it's such a it was such an awesome opportunity for me and for everybody involved um, that I'm so glad that, that it is what it is. And it's cool because it's also drawing attention to Scottsworthy stuff. And we have two other movies coming out this year. Right. Um, so. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the rake. I mean, maybe, maybe one day you'll be able to release a version with that extra put in. Cause I know I would sit through it. <laughs> And I don't mean, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Saying I'd sit through it, I mean that sounds negative. But I would love to see it the way you've seen it, with everything still intact. Yeah, and I, and I would love it too. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You a lot of times you just have to kind of move on, you know. And so the rake to me was a stepping stone. I believed it had the ability to, you know, go to the bigger festivals and really, you know, solidify 
Scotchworthy Productions as an independent, you know, production company specializing in quality horror. But, you know, it, it may not do that, but it, it's gotten out there and it's available everywhere and people can watch it. You know, you can go to Walmart and buy it on DVD. You can watch it on iTunes, Amazon, um, on cable. A lot of cable VOD has it. Um, bestbuy.com, you can rent it at Family Video. See, that was my little plug there. To get out. <laughs> but, or you can order it from me. If you email me or, or find me on Facebook, you can pick up a copy through me. But that being said, it's great because it's out there. And so now what I want the right. rate to do is I want, it, I want it to make a little bit of money so that it shows that we can be financially successful filmmakers. We know how to produce a quality product that actually is marketable. And I want it to draw attention to us so that now we can promote our other two films coming out, High in the Hog, starring Sid Haig, and Skeletons in the Closet, starring Ellie Church. And with all three of these movies coming out in 2018, have someone say, all right, these people know what they're doing. I've got a half a million bucks. I got a million bucks. I got 10 million bucks. Let's make a movie. You know? Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, especially with these other two coming out that you guys get the recognition that I feel you deserve. I mean, the rake alone. I mean, if I had not known anything about Scotchworthy and went into Walmart, Best Buy, or even was browsing through Voodoo, and came across this a lot of times and i don't know if you're like this i'll see a cover and i'm like hmm, that cover's pretty interesting read the back and be like well i'm taking this home today or oh i'm gonna rent this this seems pretty cool and a lot of times that's how i discover stuff that i fall in love with mm -hmm. yeah and you know i'm on the same way uh, a lot of times a poster or a, a cover of a box is what draws me in that's how i was when i was a kid that's mm -hmm. more like Return of the Living Dead and Fright Night and um, April Fool's Day. Um, you know, Creepers, the what what is now Phenomena from Dario Argento. You know, those were those were the movies that I would be walking through the uh, the horror aisle at the video store, and those are the ones that caught my attention every time. And exactly. I'm the same way. I I would love, and and I'm not. I, I don't care if I admit it. I'm not a big fan of the poster for the rake. You know, I would have done something a lot more. Um, ominous and uh, um, nondescript, but you know it is what it is. I'm just glad. Right, now, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was gonna. I was just gonna say, I'm just glad the movie's out there and that people are watching it. And I hope they see what what I'm proud of in there: the special effects, the atmosphere, you know, the cinematography, the production design, um, the characters. You know, whether whether it's muddled or not, because there's. There's a lot of stuff that's not in there. You know, you don't really, you don't really explain the creature in it, which kind of stinks, you know, because there's supposed to be a whole opening title sequence that explained the monster's origins, and you just don't really get that. But right. if you pay attention to what the dude's saying at the beginning in the interview on the, on the videotape, you kind of get some of that there. So it's yeah. just... Um, hopefully, hopefully people get it. You said you enjoyed the movie a lot, so... Yeah. And the opening, when you see... Ben and Ashley's dad reviewing these tapes and you hear the guy talking and he's recording saying it sounds like it's sort of a cross between a Wendigo and then I can't remember the other creature he said it was a Celtic Arach or something I don't even know what yeah. it is yeah and I was like that's interesting because I know the Wendigo I know the story of the Wendigo I've played until dawn which is a Wendigo game so yeah I was like that's that's interesting and then when you finally see it you're like damn i can see but it, it the creature exceeded what i've 
thought in my head what it was going to be. Thanks. Yeah. And, and again, that's what we pride ourselves on. It's all about practical special effects is what I founded Scott Worthy Productions on was quality independent horror films with, with practical special effects. Um, and, and so that's, that was the main thing. I was like, we're going to do a bunch of practical death sequences and I want a full body creature suit. And I want, I want a transformation sequence at the end of this movie. And, and that's kind of the thing, the movie, you think the movie ends and then the movie doesn't end. That was kind of always my point with, with the way the movie is, is I want the audience to be like, Oh man, that was crazy. It's full circle. Just like, you know, the end of the movie is like the beginning of the movie and, and now the movie's over. And it's like, no, the movie's not over. And I just kind of gave away a little bit there, but if people actually watch the movie, I, I'll be glad, and they won't know what's coming. So. Yeah, I know I felt that way, because I was like, "Oh man, it's ending like that." Oh no, it's not. Yeah. And then that whole sequence was amazing because I like that you you stayed on it enough to show off, and you're just like, "Look, you're gonna see what's happening." just look at it this is what's happening now this is what the ending is and i was like damn <laughs> it was it was so cool yeah and there's there's a lot of stuff in there that wasn't a lot of footage that wasn't even in the the final edit of the transformation there's a lot oh, of wow. really cool stuff in there that damn i <laughs> got cut out that you know again it, it is what it is but right it that is that in the scene in the garage with the girl with the wife on the phone those are my two favorite sequences in the movie, easily. No, I take that back. The, the stuff in the woods is really cool, too. Oh, the stuff in the woods was just creepy and... Oh. Yeah, that, that one was a lot of fun. It was freezing, though, that night. I felt terrible for the actress. <laughs> I, I felt back, so I'm like, it looks like it's cold out there, and she's out there, and... Yeah, it was definitely cold. It was April 3rd. Oof. And it was one of the coldest nights while we were shooting. Um, oh, man. It, hey, it worked out. We did it. Yeah. yeah. And I commend her for her work out there in those temperatures because that, that could not have been easy. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, that that was – it was so creepy and it was unsettling. Thank you. It was just I – was, I was on the edge of my seat watching that like, oh, what's going to happen? What? Ugh. Yeah, I'm – I know I'm fanboying out over this, but I, I really enjoy the rake. It's going into my uh, Halloween rotation. It's going to be one of the ones that I watch around Halloween time. Really? Thank you. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to apologize for being a fan. <laughs> I, I appreciate that 100%. Like I said, if I had 10,000 people like you, I'd be making a living doing this. Um, right. Or, or I'd try making a living doing this. Um, but no, I, I appreciate that. And you're selling the movie to your listeners. Like, I, I'm hoping that people who listen to this this uh, interview are going to go and be like, all right, well, I'm going to check this movie out now because if Jeff liked it as much as he did, you know, I got to check this out. Yeah, and I'm going to do my damnedest to promote this interview a lot more because I put my podcast out there. And I'll be honest, I don't know what the hell's going on with Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It's not there but I have it in other areas where it's available. So I'm going to push it as much as I can. Cause I really want people to see this movie and to check out everything Scotchworthy has done. I mean, it's all just fun. Even the older stuff. I mean, I know you're highly critical of it's my party, but I think diehards 
would enjoy it because it has the 80s feel and i don't mean you know what you were talking about earlier with the grain and all that i mean just the feel of the whole movie was very much like an old 80s movie kind of like night of the demons-esque in a way yeah and that's and that's what it's been compared to is night of the demons evil dead creep show um and i tell people that and so yeah i'm it definitely has that because that's what i grew up on so a lot of those influences are in the movie but uh but yeah i appreciate that and again every little bit helps everybody who's out there whether it's on social media you know if you're just sharing and liking all the posts that i do and stuff every single like and and, and share helps perpetuate this that much more if you have even one friend who doesn't know who Tony Wash and Scotchworthy Productions is and now because you're sharing my posts like you've seen obviously we've been promoting skeletons in the closet a lot we have the trailer right. releasing on Monday tomorrow Jesus tomorrow um yeah if you share that that's even one or two more people who are watching it that hadn't seen it before and they might become fans and check out our stuff and that, that's what it's all about so every little bit helps man yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm going to do what I can. I mean, like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of your guys' work and anything I can do to help promote it, I'll do what I can. Well, you know, and, I mean, keep an eye out for these other movies. Let's talk about these other ones briefly because I know we've been on here for a while. But Yeah, yeah. Let's touch on those. Um, I did sit down. Now, I didn't get to see the trailer yet for Skeletons in the Closet. Because mm -hmm. I know you had sent me something and... I feel bad. I just didn't get around to it, but I did see the trailer for High on the Hog, and wow, it to me it just comes off as like this old grindhouse exploitation, just fun movie, and it's got fucking Sid Haig and Robert Zadar. So and Joe Estevez. I mean, how how could you not want to see it? Just that alone, I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, I, I'm definitely excited about that movie because we've had it, you know, we've been working on it for many years now, and we're finally at the point where it's getting ready to come out. Um, you know, we've delivered everything to the distributor, and so it's just a matter of them putting everything together and, and getting it released. And it's been a long process, but I'm super excited about it. I think it's a fun movie. I think people are really going to enjoy it. Um, I've been going to horror conventions since I was since 2008 when we started selling it to my party. So I've been doing it for 10 years now. And High on the Hog is the perfect horror convention goers movie. The people right. in those, those conventions want to get their autographs. They want to buy their trinkets. They might support independent movies. But High on the Hog is that type of movie where those people are going to watch and be like, man, that was fun. You know, and it was cool. It's got great characters in it. It's got some action in it. It's got it's tons of sex and violence and rock and roll and drugs. Lots of cool cinematography and shit in there. I mean, there's there's like a fucking crazy drug trip sequence with fucking stop motion claymation in it and stuff. It's just bad shit. Oh, man. Okay, stop motion in the middle. You you sold me. Cool. I'm even, I'm even more in than I was before just seeing who was in it. Yeah, working with Sid Haig and Robert Zadar and and Joe Estevez and, and everybody. I mean, it's it was a it was an incredible experience. We were out in Galena, Illinois, um, shooting um, 
for like a month pretty much. And like this time of the year, we were shooting like August to September uh, for a month back in 2012. And it was so much fun and it was stressful, but it was a lot of fun. And the, the cast and crew really became a family on that movie. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever have an experience like that again. You know, it was, it was magical. Uh, that's, that's awesome that you had that, that bond and that camaraderie making this film and I can't wait for it. I'm excited for it. I'd actually heard, I think you were talking on another one. I heard you talking about this, that Sid Haig actually stayed on and kind of helped you guys out with some of the production stuff on that. Yeah. So he, um, he became a, uh, a producer on it and it's actually the first movie. You know, people may think this isn't a big deal, but I think it's pretty cool. Uh, it's the first movie that Sid Haig is putting his name above the title of, you know, and, and I think a lot of people who aren't horror fans don't know who he is. They might recognize him. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I recognize that guy. But if you're a horror fan, Sid Haig has legitimately become one of the, I think, iconic horror actors, you know. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Combs, um, <clears throat> where he's just in so many different horror movies and so many people appreciate his sense of humor and his personality that he's just everywhere. And, you know, I go to these conventions with him sometimes or I'll be at a convention and he's there and he has people in line all weekend, literally the whole weekend sitting in line, getting his autograph, you know, and does talking. not surprise me. Yeah. So, you know, working with him was really cool. Um, cause he's, he's very down to earth and he's got, at this point, 60 years of experience in the industry. Um, you know, because he was, I mean, shit, he was working with Roger Corman back in the 1950s. Yeah. You know? I mean, you have what? Spider Baby. Yeah. Galaxy of Terror. Galaxy of Terror. Yeah. I mean, he's, so. he's an icon, definitely. So the fact that you got to work with him and that he's putting his name above this and helping you guys out that way, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Well, and, and, but it wasn't just an overnight situation. I mean, we had to, we had to gain that respect, you know? Right. <clears throat> and, and that's what I love about the people I work with is that, um, we, we're not a bunch of people who just kind of half-ass things that my cast and crew on projects are hardworking and passionate people. And that's why our stuff, in my opinion, looks good. And I'm not trying to sound cocky and egotistical. I'm just, I'm speaking highly, of the team of people that that I surround myself with because my stuff wouldn't look good and wouldn't sound good and wouldn't feel good if it wasn't for the people that I work with. It, it has nothing to do with me. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of the spokesman for it all. And, yeah. uh, and Sid saw that when we were on set, he saw what everybody was doing and how much passion was involved in the heart. And by seeing that, he said, you know what, there's something special here. I, I want to take this to the next level in terms of my involvement. And that's what happened. And like Joe Estevez said that to my executive producer on the movie, um, when he was driving him back to the airport after the movie, um, he was talking to my executive producer and he's just like, you know, this is Joe Estevez. Joe Estevez, right. again, I always say this and I hate saying this about him because he probably hates it. He's Martin Sheen's brother, Charlie, you know, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez's uncle. Right. I think that's kind of like his quote unquote claim to fame, but he's so much more than that. Joe Estevez has been in like over 200 movies, you know, 
He's like an yeah. independent movie icon. And so he's driving with my executive producer, Kevin, and he just tells Kevin, he's like, what you've got on this movie is lightning in a bottle. And for wow. people like Sid Haig and Joe Estevez, who have been working in this industry for, again, decades upon decades, to say of this small, young group of filmmakers that there is lightning in a bottle and that there's something here and I want to be a producer on it and put my name above the title when I've never done that before on a movie. Um, that's that, that says a lot about the people involved. So I, I know horror fans that go to these conventions and Sid Haig fans and Grindhouse fans, movie fans, they're going to like High in the Hog because it's just so much fun. Um, again, it's not a horror movie. It's right. It's more of a drug movie. It's, it's a, it's like a, It'd be like the '60s drug movies, you know, like Easy Rider and and um, and that type of shit, but modernized. Um, and Sid play Sid Haig plays a father. Uh, what is wrong with me? I can't talk anymore. <laughs> Sid Haig plays a farmer who's had a farm in his family for five generations, and the um, when you know taxes and everything, just it it becomes more and more difficult for him to maintain the property. And so, you know, the government's trying to take it over. So he decides I'm going to start growing marijuana and selling this. And that's how I'm going to, you know, continue to pay my, my taxes and stuff. Right. And so the government tries to come in and, and arrest him and take over. And he fights for himself. You know, he's, he basically fights back and says, no, this is my land. My family's owned it for, you know, 200 years. I'm not just giving it up. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really cool how it all came together. And um, it's a fun movie. Uh, like I said, lots of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So I highly recommend people check out the trailer. It's available online. Do not watch it at work because there's a lot of nudity and violence <laughs> in the trailer. Uh, yeah. But it's coming up this fall. Yeah, I watched it at home. So I was like, you know, I have a feeling a movie called High on the Hog is not going to be safe for work. So <laughs> Definitely not. But yeah, I totally got the feel that it was just like one of those old drug movies set in more modern times. And it, it just looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like everyone involved was having a good time. It looks like the actors were having fun. It looks like Sid Haig was just doing what Sid Haig does, which is chew up scenery and just give a performance that everyone's going to enjoy. Yeah, and I mean, again, it was very stressful. I'm not going to deny for a second that it wasn't some of the hardest times in my life. Um, but at the same time, uh, it came together so well, and people saw that while we were shooting. You know, once we hit, like, day six, even day five, I remember being on the set day five, and everybody was just like, there was like a buzz, like an electricity in the air around around everybody because we were all just really excited about it. Um, <clears throat> that was really the turning point, I think, with the movie. And uh, and the rest of it was just, we found a way to make it work. Everybody was like, you know what? I'm on board. Let's do it. Like, it's not going to be easy, but let's find a way to make it work. And everybody did. And that's when you get a good movie. Like like I said, lightning in a bottle is when yeah, everybody's just like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to make this happen. I don't know how, but we're going to make it happen. So, Nose to the grindstone and just do it. And Yep. So we've got Heinemann coming out later this year. And uh, and then we also have Skeletons in the Closet coming out later this year, too. Yeah, so let's 
what is Skeletons in the Closet? I mean, I know you have the trailer coming out tomorrow, which is going to showcase exactly what it is. But if you can give us just a little bit, little taste of what it's going to be. Skeletons in the Closet is an 80s horror experience, is what I'm calling it. It is a anthology, but not told in a traditional anthology format. Um, there's multiple stories. They all, uh, they all relate to one another one way or another. Um, but it's basically skeletons in the closet is a concept that I've had in my head for since college, I would say now. So almost 20 years Okay. Uh, where it's basically Elvira meets tales from the crypt where you've got the widow who's murdered her husband, Charlie. We don't know why, but she's poisoned him and she keeps his body in their basement. kind of like Norman Bates with his mother. Nice. And, um, every episode, it's a TV show and every episode kind of like Elvira, Every episode, she comes home from work, and she's stopped at the video store and has rented a videotape because the, the show takes place in the 80s. And every episode, she goes down to the basement and watches a scary movie with her dead husband, and they comment on the movie. Um, <laughs> and since he's been murdered by her and he's sitting there talking to her, it's a very Peg and Al Bundy relationship, you know, where they bicker and they banter, and, um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, so you have the best of both worlds with Elvira and Tales from the Crypt, um, like I said. And so what it is, is they're watching a movie. She has rented a movie called Chop Shop. Chop Shop is like four short stories, basically three or four short stories in an anthology format that they're watching on their show, Skeletons in the Closet. And then another one of our main characters, Jamie who's this precocious 10-year-old little girl, is watching Skeletons in the Closet on her television set in her family room on Friday night. And her babysitter comes over because her parents are going out for the night. And so her, her babysitter watched the show, Skeletons in the Closet. And so it's a movie within a movie within a movie, so to speak. Movie within a TV show within a movie. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it's a period movie. It takes place in 1986. Um... So it's all period appropriate, which is a lot, which was, it was painstaking, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it's really cool. It's like, you've got this, this story where you've got this little girl and her babysitter watching the little girl's favorite show. And so it's very much like the burbs kind of, um, very eighties, you know, uh, kind of that feel. And then, um, and there's like actually a killer on the loose. Um, and kind of like you see that he's outside of their house. And so you kind of are watching to see what's going to happen with the little girl and the babysitter. And then you've got the, the back and forth conversation of the widow and Charlie on the TV show. And then you've got these three or four short stories within the movie Chop Shop that they're watching on the TV show that some of them are kind of scary. You know, one's a ghost story in a junkyard which is kind of cool. It's like Reservoir Dogs meets, um, uh, man, I don't even know. Reservoir Dogs meets like Scarecrows. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, or Dead Birds, so to speak. Um, and then you've got Grandma O'Malley's Pantry, which is my short film in there. And uh, that's like a, a little girl who goes to stay with her estranged grandmother for the weekend. And you come to find out that her grandmother is not exactly human. I'll leave it at that. Oh. <clears throat> which believe me when the visit came out i was fucking pissed i i can imagine i can imagine 
because I shot Grandma O'Malley's Pantry in May of 2012. We've been working on this movie for six years. And I so, remember you talking about that because I remember the name Grandma O'Malley's Pantry. Yeah. So when 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 that movie came out, when the when the visit came out, I was like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" Like, I'm getting sick and fucking tired of people stealing my goddamn ideas. And and the visit's not like Grandma O'Malley's Pantry. Grandma O'Malley's Pantry has a supernatural aspect to it that the visit did not. But even still, right. um, and and then there's there's a story in there called Meisner. That's a short film. Um, that's kind of a mind fuck movie, which is pretty cool. Ooh. And then there's a wraparound segment. Um, that's kind of the chop shop part of it where right. a, a first, it's all first person point of view, like hardcore Henry, even though we shot oh, it, nice. Henry was a thing. So once again, <laughs> another idea that someone else ended up taking and running with it, um, but it's okay because I think it, it all ties together really well. I think, I think audiences are really going to be entertained by skeletons in the closet of how cool it flows together like everything like if you don't understand something from one of the short stories in chop shop the widow and charlie or the little girl and the babysitter comment on it so it's like we we're able to kind of tongue-in-cheek explain the inconsistencies in the movie and the and the confusing aspects of it because the characters talk about it in the movie without breaking the fourth wall so it's cool that's cool that's that's really cool yeah hearing more about it i'm even more excited for it sorry i remember you talking about just chop shop before i even heard skeletons in the closet as a name for everything so i've been intrigued about this whole thing for a while yeah well, so seeing that it's finally come together yeah and it's cool how it all came together because chop shop was a project that my co-director on skeletons um ben lewandowski he he had come to me back in 2011 and was reaching out to a number of local Midwestern horror directors and saying, hey, if we all shoot a short film and pay for it ourselves, you know, it might cost you anywhere from a thousand to, you know, a couple thousand bucks, produce your own short film, and then we'll put them all together and make an anthology. And at the time, VHS had just come out, and anthologies were starting to become a thing again. Right. And so everybody was like, that's yeah, a cool idea. So we did that. There were four of us, and we all put our, we all went and shot a movie. And my buddy Rob was the DP on all four films, and and we were excited. And then we did the wraparound piece. And then ultimately, the four of us directors all kind of said, you know what, we want to take this in different directions, and it didn't work out. So we just severed ties, which is fine. And so Ben and I were always like, look, we've each got a short film that's 25 minutes long. Let's do something with it. And we could never figure it out. And finally, 2016, like the fall of 2016, I just started saying, like, look, you know, I can do this with this idea that I've had in my head for 20 years now called skeletons in the closet, we can utilize that concept for these movies and eventually got it all orchestrated and put together. And we shot it, you know, like April of last year and it's coming out. Uh, we're premiering it in Chicago on September 7th at the Davis theater. It's a very small screening. So we're going to do that. And then, after that, we're hoping for a small theatrical run across the country, and uh, and then distribution from there. That that sounds awesome. I'm hoping you guys get the run across the country because if I hear about it coming out here in California, I'm definitely going to go check it out. And I appreciate that, and and I feel the same way. It's like these are the types of movies that if if they were promoted enough, people would go see them, and people would enjoy them, whether they're big budget or not. The problem right. is, is that this industry is run by money. And mm -hmm. names are what sell movies. 
And so it's like, if you don't have a big named actor in your movie, like half the reason why High on the Hog has gotten as much attention as it has is because Sid Haig's in it. If it didn't have Sid Haig in it, High on the Hog, nobody would know about it. And I'm not saying that to belittle the project. I'm saying it because that's the harsh reality of independent filmmaking. Exactly. You know, um, which kind of stinks because we almost had Sid Haig in Skeletons in the Closet. Oh, man. We we were talking about, you know, to his agent because we were shooting that a year after we shot High on the Hog. So I was good friends with Sid at that time and he was interested in working on it and we just couldn't get the details hushed out and the scheduling and everything. Um, so ultimately it didn't happen. And in hindsight, I, I wish that we would have because it would have been, it would have definitely benefited the project in terms of notoriety. But otherwise, right. I'm very happy with what's happening with the project and I think it's going to be great. Well, it's it sounds like you're extremely excited for this to come out. I know you've you've made me even more excited and i just i just love that name skeletons of the closet yeah and and i am excited about it because this is my type of movie like and and we have complete creative control over it like no one That's no awesome. one's telling me that their opinion on my movie is better than my opinion is on my movie and and when when i say that i'm not saying that i'm anything more than a perfectionist i'm not saying that i know everything but i know the story and so why are you not going to you know why would you not instill trust in, in me to tell the story the way that I envisioned it? That's why right. I'm at the home of the project. That's why I'm the director. Um, if I wasn't competent in that respect, then I wouldn't be the director. Um, and so that's what I'm so excited about with both High on the Hog and Skeletons in the Closet. I was, you know, these movies are coming out and people are going to be able to see movies that I had, you know, to a large degree on High on the Hog and to complete degree on Skeletons in the Closet, creative control. Um, and that's awesome. You know, Ben and I, yeah, definitely. we edited skeletons in the closet and it looks, you know, and Ben edited it high in the hog and, and they're super cool. They're a lot of fun. And, um, so yeah, so I'm excited because that's my type of movie. I'm, I'm a big fan of eighties horror movies and skeletons in the closet feeds into that passion that I've had my whole life. Um, so it's, it, it's the type of movie that I've always wanted to see. So I'm, I'm excited for people to see both of these movies coming out. And, and if, if at that point I'm not getting someone saying, look, let's give you some real money to make a real movie. Not that these aren't real, but you know what I mean? Or a right. real movie, then, then I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep doing this because it's not easy. And I've been burning the candle at both ends. And, um, but I want to keep doing it. It's my right. passion. So. And it, it definitely shows through the work you've done. I mean, that passion anyone who knows movies watches enough like i do like you do is a fan of the horror genre they're gonna see that passion that you put into it they're gonna see the hard work that your crews have put into this stuff they're gonna see the overall hard work i didn't know what else to say there my brain just went blank for a second <laughs> okay no i i know and that's how i feel about it all so i'm just really excited so you know again Every little bit helps. People may not realize it, but if a hundred people are sharing a trailer, if a hundred people are are sharing posts from something on a daily basis, it gets out that much more. It's exponential. And so, you know, if if you're willing to just you know share the trailer tomorrow, and and if if you ever see a post for skeletons, you know, or for Scotchworthy, or from me, and it's promoting my stuff, just like it or share it. And um, it, you know, if you're interested enough to share it. Because every little bit helps. And the more that it gets out there, the more it perpetuates and gives us the ability to 
keep doing it because until I start getting 50 million views on my stupid videos on YouTube, <laughs> no, nobody's going to care. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what sucks about it is you have to reach that certain level. But I know on my end, I'm going to do what I can. When that trailer hits tomorrow, I'm going to share it. I'm going to make sure that I tell my friends who maybe aren't on social media or aren't really into following movies such as I am. They're fans, but maybe they don't do that part of it. I'm going to make sure that I tell everyone I know to check out these movies and I'm going to do what I can to help on my end to get the word out about them. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Oh, of course. I mean, you've given me quality entertainment. So the, the least I could do is to share stuff about your films and upcoming projects to get the word out, to help spread the word. And maybe who knows, maybe this time next year, we're going to be seeing you at some red carpet premiere for some, you know, big budget movie you've put together. Who knows? I appreciate that. That'd be awesome for sure. <laughs> we'll see what happens, I guess. And I'd be like, I did an interview with him. I did an interview with him. And then I'd repost it because, you know, ego. <laughs> no, that'd be great. Let's do it. Well, we'll just get together and have another interview. We'd have to. We oh, would have to. You know, 50 episodes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you took the time out of your busy schedule because I know you have a lot going on. So I appreciate the time you've taken today to do this. Of course. Is there any... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, of course. Not a problem at all. I appreciate you having me on your show. Yes. Yeah, so is there anything else you want to promote real quick? Anything you want to plug? I mean, aside from the upcoming projects, High on the Hog and Skeletons in the Closet, and obviously the most recent release of The Rake. Well, I think that, you know, people, if you want to find out more about our stuff, you can go to scotchworthy.com. Um, it's like a bottle of scotch and worthy, like we are not worthy, but it's all one word, scotchworthy. Um, and you can you can see a lot of the stuff on on my on my website. You can go to Facebook or Instagram. Scotchworthy's on Instagram. On Twitter, we're two hundred proof terror. Um, but I don't really use Twitter. I hate that shit. Um, and, I'm the same. I haven't. Don't use it. Yeah. So Facebook and Instagram are really where I do majority of my social media promoting. I, I post something Monday through Friday. I always post a behind the scenes photo or a screenshot from a movie and have a little post about it. So, um, and then we also obviously have world of death, which is the web series that I curate through bloodydisgusting.com where we showcase short horror films from around the world. We have over 400 shorts from more than 40 countries, um, which is pretty awesome. And, and I highly recommend people check out world of death. I haven't got through all of the episodes. So I was watching them on YouTube and, I yeah. powered through so many. Well, it's just fun. There's something in there for everybody, you know? Exactly. And I'll be honest, there's a couple of things where I was like, yeah, it wasn't really for me. But that's the beauty of it. There's a whole bunch more to go through. Exactly. And there's something in there for everyone. It's, it's so diverse, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm just, I, you know, you've got that. You can find that through bladedisgusting.com. It's on their YouTube channel right now. Um, or you can, again, you find me on Facebook, Tony Wash. Friend me on Facebook. I don't have, you know, I have Scotchworthy Productions on Facebook, but I don't even really use that as much as my own personal. I'm more promoting myself than my company. And, right. uh, um, you know, so friend request me if you're a fan. I don't care. You know, I... I like being, I like the personal touch. You know, that's why I like doing the horror conventions because I can sit and talk to my fans and promote my movies that way. And 
and I think that the personal touch helps. It makes it that much more um, tangible uh, for a fan to be like, oh, I met this guy and I talked to him. And, you know, um, that's why I think Sid Haig is a lot more popular than a lot of the other horror actors, these B-list B horror actors, because he goes to the conventions and he promotes himself and his personality. And people say, oh, well, I'm friends with Sid because I talked to him at these conventions for the last three years and he, he remembers me. And it's like, that's why they support you because they love you, not because they just love your work. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'll put some links in the show description when I post this interview for them to go check you out, your Facebook and all that, the Instagram, the website. Put, uh, if you can't put skeletons in the closet and high on the hogs, Facebook pages on there, if you don't mind. Definitely. Yeah. Not a problem at all. Of course. Um, of my course. Vimeo, if you, if you found my Vimeo, there's uh, or I mean, even, I guess, on my website, you can probably watch all that stuff. But yeah, people can see my show reel on my website, which has footage from my last five projects. Um, if you go to my Vimeo, you can watch my short film, The Muck, as well as see some of the trailers, these other things. So there's stuff everywhere. Cool. I'll definitely, I'll find your Vimeo and put that up. And one little thing before we, before we end this here, there was one little touch in the rake that I appreciated because I watched the trailers on the DVD for A Chance in Hell. And there was one on there for something called the storm. Okay. So in the opening scenes of the rake, the kids are in the room and I noticed a poster on the wall <laughs> for the storm. And I immediately was like, I didn't say anything out loud. Cause I didn't want my girlfriend to be like, what are you talking about? And I was just like, Tony, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> that, that was awesome. I love that little touch in there. So I'm like, that's a poster for the storm. I just watched the trailer for that. That was so cool. Thank you. And, 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 I, I am absolutely in love with the fact that fans such as yourself pay attention to that type of stuff. And that's why I do it because I'm a nerd like that too. I, it's all about, it's, it's the Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino universes, you know, where mm -hmm. you, you create this universe that everything that you create is in that universe. And, um, and that's what Marvel's doing now. And, and it just, exactly. it, it adds that layer of, of paying attention to something that I really enjoy. And that's what diehard fans want. They want the Easter eggs and the, the little nuggets of, of, you know, fun facts and shit like that. So, and, and skeletons in the closet and um, the rake and high on the hog, they're all tied into the same universe in high on the hog. One of the characters is wearing a storm t-shirt and um, in skeletons in the closet, there is a whole shitload of references to my other stuff there's there's footage from it's my party in there um there's there's like the trailer to the muck the muck is actually have you seen the muck my short film i saw the trailer for the muck but i have not seen the short film but i'm sure. definitely going to check it out it's i think it's it's the halloween episode the first year of um of world of death it might maybe episode 24 or something like that okay um, and or you can go to my vimeo and find it or my website i think it's on there uh, it's only six minutes long, but like we we ha we basically turned that into like the the summer blockbuster of 1986 in Skeletons in the Closet, where it's like the trailers on the TV, um, the babysitters talking about seeing the movie that weekend with the boyfriend at the theater, and um, the you know the little girls reading the Muck comic book. Um, oh, nice! So you know it just really develops this whole universe and. and I'm a big fan of that. And I like doing shit like that as hidden nods. If you watch the rake again, 
there's the sequence where um, Andrew, there's a couple of different scenes where they're in like a living room. Mm-hmm. They're, they're never really in it except for these couple of scenes where um, when Ben brings the chair, the, the armchair over. Right. And they, and they go to, they move the box over to the room with all the boxes in it and they're talking about Ashley's nightmare. Right. And then later on that night when Ashley's sitting outside on the deck smoking the cigarette and her and Nicole and Andrew are talking about her while they're looking at her through the windows. If you look at there's there's like they're standing in like these stained glass or not stained glass, but these sliding doors. Mm-hmm. If you look at the two, there's like these wooden cutouts over those window panels next to the sliding doors. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, if if you pay attention to that. They're actually the the pattern. It's very. I wanted it to have a very seventies feel, like I said, like Shining and like Alien. Right. And so the the pattern that I actually had my my friend Matt cut out of the wood to make these these gobos or these you know these these window pieces is actually the overhead of the maze from The Shining. Oh wow! So these are the details that that I try and put into my movies because they're just those special little nuggets that, that people I think really enjoy. And if they know it, they're like, Oh, I know this cool little fact. Just like you said, you have the DVD of it's my party, right? With the choose your own adventures. Yes. I'm actually looking at it right now. You have the, the fuck start your face edition or the first edition. I believe I'm pulling it off my shelf right now. This is the fuck start your face edition. All right. It's a lot easier to find on the Fuck Star Your Face edition than it is to find on the original version of the movie. So you're in luck. I'm not going to tell you how to find it, but I'm going to put this in your ear, and you're going to have fun now one of these nights when you have nothing to do for an hour or two. <laughs> on the Choose Your Own Adventure version of it, in one of the menus, there's an Easter egg for a hidden scene with lesbian zombies. And see, this is something I have known about. And I tried to find it the first couple of times I watched it and have not been able to find it. Really? You know and it is something that I have been like, I need to find that. Because I've I've known about this and anyone else out there who happens to have the Fuck Start Your Face edition, if you find it, tell me. Because he's not going to tell me. Because that's the fun of this whole thing. Somebody out there tell me. <laughs> and you just have to use your, you just have to use the directional buttons on your DVD remote. To navigate your way through each of the menus, and most of the the menus only have one or two choices on them. Right. That you have to use the arrows and find the hidden button, and and there is an Easter egg in, in one of those menus on it's my party studio adventures, and there's a hidden scene in there. So have fun looking for that. Oh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to. It's easy to get frustrated though looking for it. I will tell you that. Well, <laughs> tell me, you you shoot me a message on Facebook in the coming, you know weeks or whatever and say dude i've been looking for a half an hour an hour give me a hint i'll give you a hint but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell but, you where no i don't want you to spoon feed me that's no i'm not gonna just try to find it no, no 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 just like some of these movies that spoon feed you what's happening i don't like that either <laughs> I, I just love that you noticed the storm poster in the movie that's really funny so and it yeah. was something because i watched them back to back and i was like oh trailers okay and I see the trailer for the storm and then put on the rake and then right there. And it's not even like it's prominent. It's not zoomed in. It's in the background, just subtly there. Well, my, my ultimate hope is to make that movie one day. The, the storm is a cool fucking movie. It's roller derbies. It's a roller derby alien horror 
movie is how I explain it. Oh, it that sounds awesome. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun to make. So we'll see what happens. I just need yeah, money. Definitely. So again, uh, thank you for doing this. I know you're saying you you don't really deserve the thanks, but you've given me entertainment. You've given lots of us horror fans entertainment. So the fact you took the time out of your day to do this, I appreciate it. Uh, I'll even let you know when I post the interview. That way, if you want to check it out and give it a listen, I don't know if you will, but or if you want to share it with anyone you know, feel free. Because no, the more hits I get, the more it helps you, the more it helps me. It's yeah. Why wouldn't I share reciprocity? It? Podcasts and stuff that I'm on. Of course, I'm going to listen to it. I have to make sure I don't sound like an, an idiot an asshole, you know? <laughs> no, I don't think you came off as an idiot at all. I think you came off as someone who's passionate about what you do, passionate about oh, the horror genre. Asshole. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every one of us can be an asshole at times, but I don't think you came off bad. Well, I no, no. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So, yeah, everyone go to scotchworthy.com. Check it out. And, Tony, again, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, and I can't wait for High on the Hog or Skeletons in the Closet and anything else down the line that you guys may be doing. Thank you. Yeah, me too, man. It was nice being on the show and bullshitting with you. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime you want to have me back on. I think once these two movies come out and you've watched them, I definitely think we should come back and talk about those and go and watch The Muck. And uh, and then that way we have, we'll have some new stuff to talk about. And, uh, definitely. Definitely. You, uh, you, got a, you got an open invitation to come back to the Skewered universe anytime. Thank you very much, my friend. All right. I appreciate it, Tony. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, that was it, my interview with Tony Wash. I want to thank him once again for coming on the show. As you can tell, I had a lot of fun. Seems like he had a lot of fun, too. And keep your ears open for what he's back on the show, because we're definitely going to talk about High on the Hog and Skeletons in the Closet. Speaking of that, go check out the trailer for High on the Hog. Go to the Facebook page for Skeletons in the Closet. Share it. Like it. And definitely go check out that trailer for Skeletons in the Closet, because it's out now. It's there on the internet. Go watch it. Watch it several times. Tell your friends. Support these guys. They do good work. You can also go to scotchworthy.com, see what movies they have there for sale, check out their merch, and even share that with your friends. Tell them about a cool, independent company that's doing big things. Let's try and help motivate them to the next level, guys. Get them out there. Who knows? Maybe we'll see some full theatrical releases going nationwide from them. We can only hope, right? I'm going to put links to everything that you can check out done by Scotchworthy in the show notes. Tony mentioned he's got a Vimeo. You'll be able to get that there. The link to Scotchworthy's website and all that other good stuff. I hope you guys had as much fun listening as I did recording this with Tony. Keep enjoying the universe. That's just a little bit, well, skewered.